about sort of the, the middle part of this chapter, but let's read it from the beginning to put it in its context. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must take, keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives or the women are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children in his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. This is God's word. Well, as Matt's already explained, uh, we're in the middle of a three-week series on how church works. And my hope and prayer really is that as we go back to the biblical basics, we can gain clarity about what the Bible teaches, but also understand that there are areas of freedom as we seek to shape our leadership structures here at Charlotte Chapel. And uh, the book of the month is uh, uh, this Bible-centered church by John Temple. Uh, and there's still books available, I think, in the book room at the price of £5.50. And as I said last week, this is a book that uh, the elders and deacons have already read and discussed together. And uh, we commend it to the church for you to uh, also think about uh, this topic. So last week, uh, we looked at how the church is to be Jesus-ruled and elder-led. And this Sunday, we're going to look at this part of it, that it's to be deacon-served. And I want to consider three things this morning. Uh, What is a deacon? Uh, What is the purpose of a deacon? And what are the qualifications for a deacon? So that's where we're heading this morning. So firstly then, what is a deacon? 
was a deacon. And the word deacon uh, comes from the Greek word diakonos, uh, which occurs over 30 times in the New Testament. And most of the time, it is a non-technical term. And it simply has this idea of being a servant. Most commonly, a table servant, a waiter. Someone who serves uh, food and drink. So at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, uh, Mary tells the servants, the deacons, to do whatever Jesus says. As he directs them to fill up the, water jar, the jars with water. Or when Jesus heals Peter's uh, mother-in-law who's sick with a fever, uh, he, he touches her, she's instantly healed, and she gets up and begins to wait on them, to deacon them. And that idea of being a servant is used more widely. And so in Colossians chapter 1, you have uh, Paul describing Epaphras as a, uh, a servant, uh, as, uh, as a faithful minister or a faithful deacon. So Colossians 1.7 says this, You learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister, a deacon of Christ on our behalf. And in, later in Colossians, Paul describes himself as a deacon of the gospel and the church. says this, This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant, a, a deacon, he says. So most of the time the word deacon is used in a general sense. Uh, it's not referring to an office in the church. And on those occasions the Bible tends to translate it uh, minister or, or servant. And I think that's really important for us to realize. Because uh, the New Testament presents servanthood really as the as the ministry of service that every disciple is to be engaged in. If you're a follower of Christ, then in some sense you've got to see that you're a servant of Christ, a deacon who ministers on Christ's behalf. Uh, this is something that uh, as Christians we need to be reminded of because um, uh, we tend to like being selfish, such as our human nature. We like to be waited upon. We like people to serve us uh, rather than serve others. We might not be quite as extreme as that, uh, that Korean woman, the, the daughter of the airline owner, who uh, caused the plane that had pushed off from the gate. It was about to head for the runway. Uh, the plane was told to go back. She, she, the, owner of the, the, the owner of the plane's daughter said, you must go back. We've got to throw this terrible uh, airline person over because they brought the nuts to me in a plastic bag rather than a bowl. She was so incensed she wanted the plane to go back. And I think there's a court case involving her right now. Now we might not be quite as bad as that, but we do like being served, don't we? Uh, we like turning up and people kind of sorting things out for us. Well, that is nice, but actually as Christians we've got to realize that when we follow Christ, uh, our attitude should, ha- should be a servant-hearted attitude. Uh, we follow the one who came as the servant king. Uh, do you remember the gospel account where uh, the mother of James and John uh, saw an opportunity of prestige for her boys? What mum doesn't like her boys to do well? And uh, in Matthew's gospel, it says how she, hey, she brings James and John. She says, come with me, boys. I've got a plan. And uh, she gets them to kneel before Jesus. And she says, we want you to grant us what, whatever we want. Uh, what is it you want? Well, uh, mother, the mother says, uh, well, would you choose one of my boys to sit on your right-hand side and the other boy on, my left, on your left-hand side when you're in your kingdom, Jesus? And uh, Jesus teaches this unmistakable thing. Um, 
the, the, the rest of the ten heard about it and were indignant, it says, uh, probably because they were miffed that these guys had got ahead of the queue, probably. And, uh, but Jesus calls them together and he says this. We've got the verses on the screen, I think, next one. Um, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, your deacon. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, that is to deacon is the word that's there, but to serve, to deacon, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus himself, the Son of Man, came to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. We follow an amazing king, don't we? A servant king. And so therefore, if we're followers of him, then our lives should be marked by that same servant-hearted attitude. And it's not natural. It's not normal. It's something that his grace brings about in our lives. Um, And so if you're someone who comes regularly to Charlotte Chapel and you enjoy the benefits from being here, I want to ask you, have you found ways in which you too can can serve others in some way in this church? If you're enjoying being served, uh, in what way are you finding avenues that you can bless and serve others in our fellowship? Well, we're going to consider more of that next week as we think about the role of of members. So most of the time, uh, the word deacon is a non-technical term. It, it's, it's in a general sense, but there are a few places where it seems to infer an office in the church. And so in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, uh, it says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, and remember that's another name for the elders, and then it mentions, and deacons. And the other section is the one we've already read this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 18 to 13. After describing the elders' role, it then says deacons likewise. It seems to be another role within the church. In both instances, the deacons follow the elders. We see the elders are to rule. The deacons aren't there to rule, but they are working alongside and with the elders. So what specifically are the deacons to do according to the New Testament? What is the purpose of a deacon? And surprisingly, there's very little detail about this. Um, You have to infer some things from Scripture. You infer from the the words that it means to serve. But a place that uh, people have gone to uh, down through church history is in the book of Acts chapter 6. And you might want to turn to that. That's page 1098. Now, none of the men picked here are given the title of deacons. But many commentators see this section as a sort of a prototype model for the office of deacon. Of what would take place down the track. So let me just read these verses 1 to 7. That's page 1098. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. There are three aspects to uh, their appointment that maybe shapes our understanding of the office of deacon. And the first is this, that deacons are there to care for the physical needs of the church. Uh, This is a time of significant growth in the church in Jerusalem. There was a time when there was 120 disciples, and almost overnight it went from 120 to 3,120. Can you imagine that? Amazing growth. And during that time, they faced many challenges. Now, uh, one of those challenges could have easily been seen as a minor problem. Uh, Some of the older women beginning to complain in the church, they're not getting as much food. And you would superficially think, oh, this isn't a big deal. But actually, this is a very significant matter in the life of the church. Uh, This is not a small problem. Think about all the ingredients here, all the potential minefield of, of ethnic and cultural tensions. Uh, those from a Greek background feeling that they uh, are being uh, not treated as well as those from a Hebraic background. Uh, You've got vulnerable adults. You've got grumbling starting within the church. And and the word grumbling is is the same word in the the, uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament that's used of the the people in the the wilderness that caused lots of problems for Moses and, and for the people. So this is serious. Uh, what's happening here. There's a potential split developing. Uh, The mission of the church uh, could well be put off course. There could be huge distractions here. And what was the solution? Well, the solution from the apostles was actually not a four-week series about not grumbling uh, or or a call to prayer and fasting. If you're hungry, let's all get hungry. Um, No, but instead they, they, they showed some sound leadership here. Uh, the, the apostles knew that this mattered and that they had a duty of care. But they firstly remembered that they had a priority. They had to prioritize their ministry of teaching God's word and prayer. And so they gather the disciples together. They propose this genius plan. They ask for a new team to be set up that would provide for the uh, leadership over this area of physical needs. Now, I'm sure that these men uh, uh, were actually in charge of more than waiting on tables, but probably uh, you know, making sure the money was handled properly, that the uh, food was bought, and that there were teams of people who were caring uh, for uh, these widows to make sure that everyone uh, was being cared for properly. 
And actually, in the, in the original language, you see the word deacon being used here. So uh, verse 2, the, the 12 gathered the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait to deacon on tables. Uh, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry, the deaconing of the words. Uh, we have a specific task to deacon the word and we need people to deacon uh, the, this practical ministry in the life of church and this pleased the whole group. But let's not miss how the appointment of these spirit-filled wise men was more than simply meeting the physical needs of the church. Because the second role of the deacons is that it was to help promote the unity of the church. What, what was at threat here was more than simply uh, some people are, are not being cared for. Uh, this had the potential to cause major division within the life of the church. Cultural tensions, ethnic tensions within the church. And the appointment of these seven men made sure not only that these widows from a Greek background were cared for, but their ministry acted to, to bring spiritual unity amongst a, a growing church in Jerusalem. They were appointed to head off disunity. And really, this is the goal of all the gifts that the Spirit gives, isn't it? Uh, that we are to use our gifts to, to exercise them in such a way that it actually builds one another up and encourages each other and, and brings unity uh, amongst God's people. Uh, so very practically, Mark Dever puts it this way. We cannot have people serving us well as deacons who are unhappy with the church. The deacons are not those in the church who are complaining the loudest or jarring the church with their actions or attitudes. Quite the opposite. The deacons are to be the mufflers, the shock absorbers. So as we, as we look to, um, again, uh, appoint uh, deacons, uh, as we uh, look to appoint elders this coming year, uh, we should be looking around for people who, uh, in a sense, primarily care about the unity of the whole church. Uh, people who uh, not only are there and see practical needs, but know how it fits into uh, uniting a church together. Um, thirdly, we need deacons who work to support the ministry of the words. Uh, the apostles are acknowledging the care for physical needs was a responsibility of the church and of them. And, and, they, and they then turned this over to make sure that there was a team of people making sure it happened. And, and the, what was the purpose? Well, the purpose was that they wouldn't be sidetracked from their central task of the ministry of word and prayer. And so the work of these men deaconing the tables, managing the resources and the people to make sure that these widows were, were not overlooked... They were actually supporting the work of the ministry of the words. Uh, great deacons are ones who realize that their practical area is in order to promote gospel work and gospel ministry in the life of the church. Uh, a, a good deacon st uh, structure ensures not only the unity and the health of the church, but advances the mission of the church. I mean, that's the extraordinary outcome we see in verse 7. You know, from the difficulties and challenge with wise leadership and the prayerful setting side of these men, what happened? Well, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. What a joy if we could begin to see that happening, eh? 
and a large number of priests became obedient to faith. Now, when the clergy start getting saved, you know something significant's happening, don't you? Something big's happening when the clergy get saved. What an amazing thing if um, we saw imams getting saved, if we saw synagogue rulers getting saved, if we saw um, some of the clergy who don't seem to believe the gospel getting saved. What a great thing that would be in this city. And that's was one of the outcomes as uh, the apostles uh, refused to get sidetracked but ensured that proper care was happening. More impact from God's word. Now, there are many practical areas of church life which teams of dedicated men and women carry out that enables this church to function. And we just even think about today. Uh, How did we walk into this warm space that was clean and... uh, uh, how can we can hear it? How can we can see stuff on the screens? How can we have some musicians to play? Well, think about all the people. There's masses of people who serve in, in amazing ways to enable this to happen. We had a little taste of the power of teams yesterday at the Shamwick Place building. We had a kind of a clean-up there. I think about 60 folk were there. And uh, as you walked in, there was almost an overwhelming amount of things to do. There's so much junk in the tower. I couldn't believe how much stuff was there. And you think, how are we going to do this? And if you're on your own, you'd, uh, you'd be on your knees. But actually, it quickly got done. It was amazing. As the power of team working together, people just rolling up their sleeves and getting stuck in. What a blessing. Um, for a church to function, we've uh, identified at least nine core areas uh, as elders that we think it would be great to have a recognized deacon in who is each person overseeing a team of people. Uh, these deacons are not sort of, well, that's your job, you're the only one doing this. Actually, these guys have got to be leaders who have teams under them to make it work. Uh, deacon over care. And we see that's a, that was one of the founding things that perhaps is in this prototype part of Act 6. And we do have a, a growing team of folk who are there to care for members in lots of practical ways. Uh, and uh, to get alongside people. There's a lot of practical ways that we can love and care for people in their different struggles and vulnerabilities and needing help. And uh, I think, Miriam, you're the secretary of that, aren't you? You're the go-to person who then accesses the team. And uh, it's great to... Well, we need need more of that, actually. A deacon over finance. Um, What, there's a... I don't know, budget? Is it about 650,000, 700,000 a year? That's a lot of money. And to make sure that it's dealt with properly and uh, appropriately. There's a big team of folk there. A deacon of communication. This is an area that we've not been strong at, actually. Communicating uh, to the different aspects of the life of the church. We think a deacon in charge of communications would be a great help. A deacon of administration. A deacon over welcome. A deacon over property. As you know, there's uh, massive things going on with that. In fact, we're going to have to set up a lot of interim teams this year. As we think about leaving this building... And moving to the other building. There's a lot of stuff here that we have to work out what to do with. And we're going to need teams of people to help us uh, make that transition and change. A deacon over staffing. A deacon over catering. Uh, you know, a huge amount of ministry happens around food. And we've got to make sure the kitchen is working right. That the temperatures are right. That we fit and comply with the uh, hygiene rules. And, and that everybody knows how to use this kitchen properly. What a blessing to be catered well. Uh, and actually, bad catering can kill people. 
So it's a really important thing. Here's one care area that if we get it wrong, people are going to die. So let's pray for a really good deacon of catering and a great solid team who care about the temperatures. Uh, You'll be all right with the biscuits today, I think. Um, We need a deacon over IT. And, And actually, the truth is... Uh, under every sort of uh, position, even amongst the elders, there will be teams of people that we need to work together to help disciple people. But we see also that there are these nine practical areas. It would be great to have a key person who is a leader over each area, who, using the Jethro principle, will have teams of people under them to help these things work effectively. And uh, if we have these things happening in a church, this will really help the church. And so um, would you prayerfully consider whether you might fit into one of these roles? Would you be prayerfully looking out for those sort of roles? Uh, We are going to be asking the church to, uh, as we did, as we see in the Acts, we're going to ask the church to say, who do you see as as a great servant-hearted person that has some competence in one of these areas that you, you think that could be nominated to that role? Well, be praying about that. Well, what are the qualifications of a deacon. What should we be looking for? Well, let's turn then back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, which we read earlier. Page 1192. What is fascinating about um, the deacons mentioned there from verse 8 down to verse 13 is it's more concerned with their character than their job description. I find that fascinating. Uh, We are going seriously wrong in a culture because we're celebrating celebrity when actually the Bible says the thing we should be looking for is character, virtue. It's something that's being horribly lost in our culture. Can I say, as we look at this list, uh, let me remind you, as I said of the elders, these things, this list here, really, this is expected of every Christian believer. If you want to know what does a a normal, healthy Christian look like, well, this is a list that applies to, to every Christian here. But especially we should be looking for these things amongst elders and deacons. There's a huge correspondence between the elders and the deacons. As you look at the list, most of the same things said about elders are also true of deacons. The only thing that's different is this qualification that the elder must be able to teach. The deacons aren't required to do that, which is why we think actually the elders have a a ruling position in the church and the elders a serving position. But they're both expected to model that godliness and to be leaders of godliness within the church, which is the household of God. Um, The NIV uh, has brought out a 2011 version, which when we move to the new building, we're going to get as the Pew Bible. And actually, it helps us out. The new version of the NIV helps us out a bit more than the one in front of us. Um, What you have here is elders verses 1 to 7. And in verse 8, it says, well, in the new NIV, it says this, in the same way, deacons. Well, what you hear, deacons likewise. Verse 11, although the old NIV translates it in the same way, their wives, actually the word there is simply woman. 
And, and the new translation, which I think is more helpful, it says, verse 11, in the same way, women. So I actually think that the, the Bible um, uh, says that while elders are to be qualified men, the role of deacons is open for qualified men and women. And so you've got some things to say about uh, male deacons and then some things to say about female deacons verses, in verse 11, or deaconesses, which is a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? And without boring you with all the details here, because I think some of the words are fairly self-explanatory, um, we should uh, just work our way quickly through these qualifications. Um, the essence of it is it's being godly and, and someone who's got a firm grip on the truth. Um, from, from the Acts section, we're seeing that we're looking for people who are filled with the Spirit, who are full of wisdom. We're looking for people who've got a servant heart. And in 1 Timothy 3, it says they're to be worthy of respect. Uh, dignified is the word. Uh, not double-tongued, but sincere. You know, do, does, do, does this person have a reputation for keeping their words? Do they speak consistently to different groups? It's very difficult to have someone who says one thing to one group and something completely different to another group. No, you don't want double-tongued people. You want sincere people. Not addicted to much wine. Are they self-controlled? Have they got a problem with booze or drugs? Well, addicts don't make for good elders and deacons. Uh, not greedy for dishonest gain. Do they exhibit godly generosity? Are they honest? Uh, if, if the deacons are handling your money, you, you, know, you, you want a guy who's got a track record for being faithful and, and a person of integrity with the money. Um, they must hold the mystery of the faith. And it speaks of that mystery down in verse 16. It's, it's, a, it's all about the gospel of Jesus coming in a body, the incarnation, his resurrection, his ascension. Uh, they're clear on the gospel. You want deacons who uh, have a credible profession of saving faith. You, you want to find someone who um, looks to apply the Bible to their life and ministry. Somebody who uh, is clearly kind of seeking to live out the Christian life. Do they hold the deep truths of the faith? Do they hold the Bible without reservation? It says they should be tested and above reproach. So it makes sense that um, there's some sort of track record of faithfulness in that person in the way they've served the Lord in the past. And the biblical pattern is, is quite simple. You know, whatever the Lord gives you to do, do it well in small things. And you do things in small things, people say, oh, we can trust that person. You get more responsibility. Um, do they show competence in that area of service? Uh, are the congregation supportive um, of the appointment? And, that, and we'll have a process of su suggesting names to the congregation, elders coming back with a slate of names, and there'll be a vote on the deacons as uh, an opportunity for us to uh, say, yeah, we, we get behind these guys, we recognize these guys, we're supportive of them. Uh, we're looking for someone who is... Um, irreproachable, above reproach, a husband of but one wife, a sort of a one woman sort of man. It doesn't mean that they have to be married, but are they a person who lives with integrity with regard um, to their sex drive? Are they totally devoted to their wife if they're married? Do they lead the family well? Are good managers of their children and households, someone who shows management ability 
These are the sort of people that you want as uh, deacons within the church. Uh, likewise, women, verse 11. Same thing, dignified, worthy of respect, not slanderers, uh, sober-minded, temperate, faithful in all things. These are qualities that you're looking for. And uh, if you look at verse 13, there is, there is blessings from being a deacon. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Two wonderful benefits spelled out there. Um, one before man and one before God. Before man, uh, they gain a, a good standing for themselves. There's a, a right and proper esteem, respect and influence that is gained by being a consistent, faithful servant for God amongst his people. And the second reward is before God. Uh, that those who serve well and faithfully as deacons also experience an ever-deepening confidence in their relationship with Jesus. Day by day, they see evidence of their saving faith in Christ through the good works that he enables them to complete and, 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 and experiences strengthening as they engage in that work. And so if you're feeling a bit shaky and uncertain about things uh, in your Christian faith, can I commend you two great things? Study, studying the Word, and serving. Studying the Bible to better grasp the mystery of the faith, and then serving, putting it into action. Serving in the life of the church. Two ways that you can um, uh, gain an excellent standing and great assurance in your faith in Christ. Um, as I prayed and thought about the deacons this week, I, I want to give thanks to God for our deacons who work so hard. We have um, um, men and one woman um, who do a great job. We have people who work so diligently and hard week in, week out. And this church would simply not function without um, their leadership and the teams of people under them. We praise God for the deacons that we have. And as we come to a, another round of, um, uh, of, of choosing leaders, I hope many of them will want to stand and continue. But they need help and support. They need people who are willing to stand alongside them as deacons and people who are willing to be involved with teams with them to help things function in the life of the church. So make this a matter of prayer and consideration. Uh, for some of you, um, you know, this might be the next step for you in your Christian life. You've become saved, you've got baptized, uh, you've become a member of the church and really the next really thing that will help you grow in your faith is find an area to serve in, be part of a team practically where you can uh, be a blessing to others and be blessed through serving Christ and his people. Uh, this might be precisely the next thing that helps you grow in your faith. So come and speak to some of the deacons, some of the elders, and say, look, is there anything to do? Is it all sewn up? Guess what? It's not all sewn up. There are things to do. And uh, a great avenue for your personal growth. So what have we looked at so far? What does the Bible have to say about how church works? It says Jesus ruled, uh, elder led, deacon served, and finally congregationally accountable. And we're going to be considering that next week as we look at the role of members. Let's pray.
Father, forgive us for times we have a low view of the church when your word tells us that this is your household. That this is the church of the living God. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Well, Father, we ask that um, as your word has spoken to us today, that your spirit would apply this truth into our hearts and that we would so work together in a united way that we would hold up this glorious gospel to this city that many may be reached and that people's lives may be changed and transformed and that um, as your word is preached on among the nations that the nations would believe on it and be part of this glorious church taken up in glory and so we commit ourselves to you knowing our weakness knowing our frailty knowing that we fall so far short often of the standards in your word we ask that you'd give us um, fresh grace, forgiveness, and courage to step forward together. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.